if they're fighting your culture for you, you have done something that takes some companies generations to build that kind of goodwill. And you're doing it by trusting your community. So I'm a big proponent on being okay with dropping the ball every now and then to achieve greatness rather than the converse, which is holding everything so tightly knit that you're, you're really hurting your growth. And now you're actually hurting even future growth because no one's coming to an event that's featuring the same players over and over. Hello, and welcome back to the E-Tribe. This is Isari, your host. And the person you're listening to is Chris Kermitos. Chris is a brilliant community creator who has years of expertise in building communities around businesses. And he's the founder and the spirit behind PodFest, which is the largest podcasting community in the world. We are going to talk about building communities around your business. What are the benefits? How to get started? And what is the secret sauce behind making it successful? You're listening to the Eat Tribe podcast series, a podcast that inspires people to pursue their passions and become better at what they do. I'm Isar Matis, a serial entrepreneur myself, and I'm sitting down with other members of the E-Tribe entrepreneurs, e-commerce experts, e-marketers, and other e-people. We come from different industries and different places around the world. Together, we discuss challenges, solutions, lessons learned, and tools which help us be more effective and make an impact in our world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the E-Tribe. This is Isario, host, and I've got a really, really special guest for you today. And I want to say, you know, I say that a lot. I know I'm guilty of that. First of all, because all my guests are special, but this time it's really different. And the reason it's different is because, as you, some of you may know, those of you who follow me regularly know, I have a company that's called Be The Stage. The company was really born out of my journey as a podcaster and through my relationship with my amazing partner, Pablo Gonzalez. I would not have my podcast the way it is today, and I will not meet Pablo Gonzalez if it wasn't for PodFest. So I literally, what I do today in the day-to-day, which is building relationships and building communities for other companies, would not exist without Chris Kermitos, who is the founder and the spirit behind the PodFest community. And really, that's the core of what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about community creation, which is, again, is what I do today as a service, but I'm in the infant stages and Chris, as far as I'm concerned, is a community relationship guru and hence I'm very, very excited to have him today. So Chris, thank you so much really for everything, a lot more than just being here today and obviously for taking the time and joining me today. Uh, thank you for being a pillar of our community and people don't know this, but uh, one of our events, we screwed up on the calendar and no speaker showed up and Isar said, I'll get up there <laughs> and he started <laughs> teaching. But I still remember that because I was just running frantically like, I got this. And then my other friend Barbara stepped up. That moment will always be frozen in time for me because I remember it very well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing, the funny thing, I went on stage to teach about podcasting and I had like seven episodes and I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> That's what I appreciate is that you're like, okay, hey, this is an opportunity. This guy needs help. I'm going to step up in the spirit of this culture and I'm going to do it. That means the world to me that you were, you took that and ran with it. And what we heard about those, those rooms, 
time frame, people had a blast and they still yeah. tied to that experience because it was an intense experience. They're waiting for someone that didn't show up and that person was at fault because we switched, we did some behind the scenes, switched the schedule up, didn't notify everybody. But I still remember that's when you know you have a good culture when someone like yourself, he starts says, I got it, let me figure it out. And then you have a great time with everybody in there. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, I think a lot of it, and we're going to talk a lot about this today in the conversation. If you create the right culture in your company, in your community, it makes these things happen, right? Kind of like on their own. Yes. So, you know, but before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, like your journey. Okay. Today you're running PodFest. And again, for those of you who don't know, who don't know, PodFest is a huge, amazing community of podcasters, and now a lot more. So content creators of various kinds from all over the world. And you kind of think that a community that was based on getting together huggy, kissy kind of community in a conference once a year, once COVID hits, is going to die. And the opposite happened, right? It thrived. It's now all over the world. And you have a Guinness World Record of the largest podcasting event ever, and now potentially an even bigger record in the back pocket. So it's so that's me saying about Chris, but I want to know what got you there. Like, what were the steps you took in order to, to do what you're doing today? Yeah, I was a serial entrepreneur. So I was the kid at 13 years old selling candy in school, trying to figure out how I was going to make a profit and how I was going to service the community. And the reason why that's important is I had, you know, I wrote a book called Start Ugly, but I had like a couple dozen Start Ugly events in my life in business. <laughs> And what happens is you question things after it's all said and done. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? What do I want more of? So as I rounded out my late 20s, I realized chasing money didn't work for my personality. Money is a good thing, but it had to be a byproduct of a service or something I was able to produce. Selling products was very easy for me because it's very formulaic. And, and I think it's amazing. But I challenged myself, like, what did I miss? Coming from a big fat Greek family. I moved to Florida. I missed the community feel, which I didn't know I missed it till I left it. Okay. And I love business. And I said, what are some of my strong suits I could marry? And it was like, I think I could put people together and be a matchmaker, but also an information hub. And I would describe the skill I discovered I had is I'm like an airport that brings people and brands together. And I call it, I'm a hub builder. So you could call me a connector, but really I'm a hub builder. I build a hub. And podcasting, the way I knew podcasting was going to be something that I wanted to really grow with was in 2005, I believe, YouTube launched February 14th, 2005. I might be off by a year, but I'm pretty sure that was yeah, the day. Either four or five, I'm with you. On I that. joined February 14th, 2016, like 06, sorry, 06. A year later, I'm on YouTube. I'm doing my videos. I'm, I'm enjoying everything. And a few years later, I brought in a guy by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk to come speak. No one knew who he was. He had the wine library. I know yeah. people are like, oh, yeah, really? No. In 2009, most people didn't know who the man was at the time. Yeah. And if you're listening, he's our modern age Tony Robbins through the internet, right? Yeah. So I remember he said something that still resonated with me to this day, sir. Because I was doing what I did well, which was bringing people together. I had already built this muscle with local business owners. He said something like, Someone asked him, is there a question you've never been asked that you would like to answer? At the time, now I'm in podcasting, we hear that question. But at the time, I never heard that question asked in public. And he said, actually, I started building my brand equity of my name to differentiate from wine. And that's where he pivoted to entrepreneurship. Yep. And I remember saying to myself, here I am 
doing these meetups, teaching people social media, and not understanding that this was a global play to help people all over the world. Instead, I'm doing it in restaurants and people are willing to drive. We had people from Miami, Naples, and Jacksonville drive in for these meetups. And I was yeah. charging $5. So obviously there was a disconnect in my head <laughs> on the value I was bringing. I know now we laugh at the time. I was like, why would someone drive four hours? Maybe there's a big reason for that. So I, 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 I basically distilled it on one thing. I'm really good at community building. But the other thing I didn't get right until later on as an entrepreneur is timing. I really, I tell people timing is probably one of the biggest factors in your success and understanding timing is crucial to building anything. So that's kind of my, my background backstory. Since then, I, I timed the podcasting world right. It lagged behind video because people don't replace their radio in their car as often as they replace, you know, a phone that plays video. And it took eight years before podcasting really took off lag behind video, which was an interesting thing that audio uh, on-demand audio would lag behind on-demand video, but it did. And when I saw that opportunity, I loved what it did for the creators, but I also understood my timing was spot on. And if I was able to love up on my community that I do naturally and I love doing, I would grow into something that would be quite large. Did I dream that it would ever be as big as it is now? I don't know. You know, as an, I'm one of those moonshot thinkers anyways, but yeah. I will tell you, the fact that it's happening feels good. It doesn't always happen. We always think big, but to see it come into fruition, I think is a really satisfying thing. I think you touch on so many amazing points about entrepreneurship and business. You know, if, if to summarize a few, one is to keep your eyes open and listen to other people and get things from them. Like you, you mentioned Gary Vee when he wasn't a nobody, but he definitely wasn't what he is today. And yet you're like, okay, oh my God, this is amazing. The second is really just figuring out what your superpower is and knowing that A, you can be good at it and B, you will enjoy doing this moving forward. So not two years later, like, oh, whatever, I'm over this. And so I think the fact that you were able to really take notes from other people as well as connect it to your, your inner core is amazing. And it shows a lot in what you're doing. I want to really talk about the community and the values of the community. But before we do that, I want to talk about the benefits, right? And, and for you, it's a little different, right? Your community is your business. But again, what I do for a living now is I help companies nurture large-scale relationship and build communities around them. And I'm coming for you as somebody who has a huge community, very, very engaged, very proactive. What are the benefits beyond the obvious of having a community around your business? So with the Tampa Bay business owners, we used to do this event that we created. So we asked ourselves this question. We said, how could we do an event that would cost us no money that our attendees would show up at? And that the person that we dealt with would underwrite the costs. And we're like, well, that, that's like almost impossible. And then one of our team members said, why don't we take our business owners on tour of a place of business and let them buy these snacks and appetizers. And that's what we called success safaris. And they became one of our most successful events. And here's what I will tell you, Isar, because this goes right into your question. You know how many companies would tell us we do not want to service your business owners to come learn about us? So I was like, <laughs> here we are bringing your literally engaged local entrepreneurs to learn about your brand, which is the biggest benefit in a local environment. It's like ginormous. Yeah. And we would have people telling us, no, we don't want to do that. And I would think to myself, how could you not see that as like the largest? And, and honestly, when I say snacks, they'd buy bottles of water and like little donuts. It would cost like a hundred bucks for them. Yeah. 
so what we learned really quickly is a lot of businesses really don't understand the value of connecting and creating uh, fans. Now, I will tell you a success story because I don't like dwelling on the people that didn't do it. One of the local people, they owned a company called Postcard Mania and Joy Jindusa started it from the ground up. She has like 200 employees. We brought her 60 business owners to her doors. Do you not think that she loved us? And she said, <laughs> how else can we do this? How can we do this more of it? And she got to tell her story. And what I realized is the first um, challenge is most businesses are not aware that this is a huge value for their business. So how do you do it? The very first thing, this is a consultant of mine said this, and Nisar, I can't tell you how important this is. And if I leave anything with anyone, people do not show up where they are not invited. And that is advice that he gave me a long time ago. My good friend, Mark Katz, Fortune 100 consultant. I used to say, what do you mean by that? He goes, have you invited XYZ to come to your event? I'm like, no. He goes, so why would they show up? <laughs> And we would think, and I can't tell you how many people are like, oh, we sent out a blast email. We put it up on Facebook. No, personal invites make a big deal. So if you have a customer base, have you sent a personal invite? You, the CEO, whoever's in charge, the CMO, so whatever, to, to give you feedback. So the benefits are they know you're listening, so they know you care. The side thing is now they're giving you feedback that they would not give you. If you don't have that relationship, you're going to get the feedback that your best friend gives you. Oh, what you're doing is great. You want strategic feedback. And when you're able to identify the people in your brand, so you say, you've, you are, uh, for me, one of the, you would be like someone, okay, we have errors in our systems. Let's ask ESAR for information. And you will gladly give that information, but it's very specific and you're the expert in that. Yeah. But had we not listened to you in the past, we wouldn't know to go to you. Therefore, that's a missing gap in our yeah. business systems. And you already know that our systems, we can only handle so much. So we're, you're very open, like, hey, do what you can, but you're messing up here. We need to fix this. Yeah. So like, that's, I can't tell you how valuable that is because most companies are going to pay the big ones anyways, millions of dollars for this feedback that's already under their nose. And that's why Steve Jobs was so successful with Apple. Do you know how many stories people have of Steve Jobs cold calling them? To, like people would complain in the early, people don't realize this. When Steve Jobs created the podcast uh, player, he was bitching. Todd Cochran, who owns uh, Blueberry, he's one of the founders of Blueberry, was bitching and moaning that it wasn't good. Do you know that Steve Jobs called him? Really? Yeah. He has a story. <laughs> Steve Jobs literally called him and said, tell me how we can make the product better. That's active listening. And what yeah. people don't realize is that man was listening to everything out there on the street, making his products better. So that's the core benefit. The, the secondary is now when you have your customer bought into what you're doing, you can create superior products because now you're ahead of the feedback curve from all your competitors, which is extremely valuable. Amazing. I, I want to connect that. Yesterday, I had an incredible meeting with our largest uh, client. Their name is JWB. You may know them. They're from Florida as well. Really large real estate company, $150 million a year kind of company. And they kind of did the annual summary for their employees last week, and they shared it with us yesterday. And it's incredible because we grew their community from zero people to not a lot, you know, 2,500 people. But those 2,500 people sell homes for them right now because people coming into the community because they hear the show, they see the content, they join the communities like, listen, I see this company, what they're doing looks legit. Has anybody in this group actually been a client and can kind of share their experience? And they shared a few of these, like kind of the same kind of question again and again. 
And every one of those gets 50 to 60 raving answers that I don't care who in the company, the CEO could answer it. It wouldn't be as powerful as somebody who is their existing client who's raving about them. Now you're getting 20 of those or 60 in their case, and it's just built over time. So everything you're saying as far as the feedback for the company, which was the step one we did with them, the first six months was all about what's the message. And what you see once you talk to people is that they're going to ask you 60 different questions, but they're actually five questions asked in different ways. So that's the feedback you're talking about. If you know what your audience is asking, what their barriers to entry, what's stopping them from doing business with you, what they need. And the only way to do this is exactly what you're saying, is having a one-to-one relationship or one-to-few relationship where this conversation can happen. When you also want to make, here's another tip. You want to make it as frictionless as possible for your audience to communicate with you. So I'll give you an example. I'm wearing right now the Savannah Bananas shirt in honor of my buddy, Jesse Cole, who has a summer college league baseball team. What does that mean? That means they're not even in the minors. It's college. The players aren't allowed to get paid because they're in college and all these laws. So when he opens his ballpark, it's $20. I believe it's 15 or $20. All you could eat, all you could drink. <laughs> Non-alcoholic, but like sodas and burgers and hot dogs. All you could eat, all you could drink. And I would say to him, how the heck are you doing that? And he goes, well, he, he went through the metrics. It's actually very profitable. But he goes, we want to create a frictionless environment for the fans. And then there's all kinds of upsells from there. So what I would tell anyone, if you're looking to engage with your audience, please make it as frictionless as possible. In the beginning, you might want to add a little bit of friction to get more information. But in the beginning, you got to really get the momentum going. And it, the hardest is in the beginning. But as momentum builds, you could create something amazing. My wife, Katie, has Meditation for Women podcast. We had some extra marketing budget that she would market. So we decided, and I'm glad she was able to listen to this crazy idea I had. The idea was, let's just give it back to the listeners. And she literally will give, a woman will go to the, it's a meditation for women, a women's meditation network.com forward slash share the love. And all they have to say is, I have shared the love in the past. I would love a gift card. And she sends them a $25 gift card, no questions asked. Now, after that, we have some survey questions that we're looking to get. But right off the bat, it's reward and then question, question, question. And then there's an autoresponder that goes out, hey, if you ever get a chance to leave us a review on iTunes, since you love the show, it really would support us. But that's a freak, that's very a very little friction. And it still takes a while for people to get using. You would think tons of people would do it. No, it's a few every day, but it builds. Amazing. So we're talking about community and getting feedback and so on. And again, you have a really amazing community in PodFest. What are the keys to a strong, engaged, proactive community? Like what is like, you know, the, the golden nuggets, the, the secret sauce, if you want to make it work? We do a lot of town hall calls. And Isar could probably recite what I'm about to say. And he knows. I always go over the history of PodFest at the beginning of pretty much all those town halls. And unfortunately for me, I'm thinking of Isar like, oh, man, this is the 10th time he's heard it. But I also have to think, but this is the key crucial part, Isar. There's someone that's a first timer that hasn't heard what Isar has said. So I might vary it up a little bit so I could throw an extra nugget that maybe Isar doesn't know. But I always tell the history of the company up front almost all the time. And Andrew, who's our project manager, I'll always say, oh, I think I'm going to skip. He goes, well, there's a lot of new people, you know. So we never skip the history, even though 
and we don't qualify like, I'm sorry, you have to hear it again. No, here it is. I might come up with different fun facts to make it interesting for the people I've heard it 10 times over. However, communicating your history with your audience allows them to see your growth. And when they are, when they see your growth, they then want to be part of your future growth. So I would say one of the key factors is always communicate. Where'd you come from? Was there anything that was hard that they could relate to? Don't hide it. Tell people, tell them about your, what you're strong at. And then if you're weak, like for instance, for us to grow to the size that we've grown in attendees, we don't have the staff to function at the level we would like to. However, we have the audience. So what we said to our audience is we need your help to help us grow. And they'll say, well, what do you need? Well, when someone has a customer service complaint, if you could get it, it's a big ask, but if you have this relationship, you could do this. Can you get to that before we do? And when that happens, your culture now is growing outside of yourself. And we took a page out of Zappos, Tony Shea, who uses, who used Holacracy and they still use it in his company. And we believe that the wisdom of our consumers, for us, it's our attendees, which are is our community. But those consumers, if you could put them into a community environment, you just can't, you can't, other companies can't compete with that because there's something special about that. There's something, Apple has a community. And when Apple was at death's door, their community kept it alive for an extra couple of years so Steve Jobs could come back. Yeah. For those of us that are old enough, look it up. Go look at Wikipedia. Apple was not the largest company in the world. Apple was about to go out of business and their evangelist and their fans kept it alive for Steve Jobs to save it literally from insolvency. It was like days away. Yeah. So I think that's the key. So if I have to kind of summarize this is you got to make the people a part of your journey yep. and you got to give them an active role. And again, it goes back to what you said in the beginning as well, right? That if you invite them and then you ask them for their opinion and then you actually take their opinion into account, you make them a part of the journey. And if you explain the journey to them, now they have a personal buy-in to the whole process, which make them more engaged and involved. Is that a good summary? Yeah. The one caveat I'll give you, like I'll give you an actual item within what you just said. That's a perfect summary. When you're asking for feedback, it's very important that you put this caveat. We want to be very clear that we might not be able to act on all of your feedback, but we are actively listening. So please understand. That way, someone doesn't get frustrated that you didn't change right away. However, they know that you know them and that you're listening. And that is actually more important in the beginning than trying to change everything you're doing behind the scenes, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I, I think it makes perfect sense. And, and again, I think the way... I, I want to say something from my side, right? That that kind of like how my journey looks like, because I started with this, which is, you know, I every podfest, I'm just trying to do more. And I'm trying to do more because I feel a part of this thing. It's not Chris's organization. It's as much mine as it is yours. No offense, but no, no, that's how we see it. So I'm glad you're saying there's no offense taken. That's exactly what Podfest is. It is not any one person's event. And that's hundred percent true. And if you if you create that mindset within the community that all they want to do is just do more for that community. And again, I know it looks like Chris is paying me, but he's not. And I'm not paying him <laughs> to have this conversation. No, no, but Isar, let's let's just let's dialogue on that because a lot of people don't realize like so. Here, I'll give you some concepts that I think are really important. I know you're already there, but for anyone listening with us, feel free but to, to, to chime in on the, on the comments on this. But the an, an employee is there voluntarily. No one put a gun to their head to work for your company. 
They can go anywhere they want. And in a very good job market, we're very conscious of it. So technically, the way I look at it is I don't have employees. I have coworkers because we all work together. Yep. And what are we working towards? Whatever that company service, good, whatever it is, is I believe most of us are trying to create value in the marketplace and we think we could solve some kind of problem. Yeah. If we could then take our customer base and have them part of our journey, they are now part of our success. They're part of our failures, but they have our back when we need it most. And I will tell you in today's world, there's a lot of crazy things going on and you need to have this locked in because when it comes time and someone doesn't know you and they come after you in some way, shape or form, you just never know. Your customers need to have your back on social media because no matter how much you know, of a PR firm you have, whatever, it's the customers that are going to help you when you need them most. So I, I think what you're saying is so pivotal. And when we talk about PodFest, it's never this is Chris's PodFest. We always say this is the community. So what can we create for the community? And we have pillars of our community that we look to. Because I'm very conscious. Remember, if this was Chris's event, it would never have grown to where it is now. It would have been a great event. Don't get me wrong. But this event is the community. So I always love when people say, oh, can you do an event for me and get me a thousand people? It's like, I don't think you understand how this works. <laughs> Podfest <laughs> is not me. And they always look at me very confused. Like, no, you get people. I go, no, 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 no. I don't think you understand. This is a group of people that bought in on a concept and we're all co-creating it. I was the one, obviously, that went through the pain of not making any money in the early years of building it. Yeah, so I, I'll reap a lot of the benefits financially, but so will my community because you met a partner. All these things, these stories come out. So we all build it together. So that's uh, if you could look at your company as something that's in the public ether and that your customer is part of your company and they're part of your journey, it changes the way they interact with it. And that level of brand love, you know, people might not realize about a balance sheet, there is a thing called goodwill. That's called goodwill. That's actually a financial metric. It is. And people don't realize goodwill is huge. So how many goodwill chips have you put on the board? And how do you do that? It's what you do, Isar, is getting the community of your customers bought in. And when we used to do those success safaris, some people were dialed in. Let's give you guys a tour. We'll figure it out. And other people are like, ah, oh, you know what? We don't want 50, 60 possible raving fans coming through here, seeing how great our brand is. That's how I would hear it, obviously. That would, that would be my ego talking. But, yeah. but that's how it's communicated. It's like, we're going to bring you people that will be raving fans of your brand. Who wouldn't want that opportunity? You'd be yeah. surprised. Okay. So you touched on kind of like you had to go through the early stages of this, kind of like taking it off the ground. For somebody who's there, for somebody who understands the value either because of this or this just gave him the last push to jump that knows that they need a community around their business or that they want a community around their business because they understand the benefits. How do you start? What, like you have Very, zero yeah. people as a community. What do yeah, you do so the, the, This is the best part of it. You need to stop any prejudgment of numbers. So that's the poison pill. So what that means is if one person shows up and says, I want to be a brand ambassador, your objective should be to make that person feel like the most special person in the world and treat them like the, your number one brand ambassador. What most people tend to do is I wasn't successful. Only one person showed up. The biggest movements are started by one person, you know, one follower. How many people were in your first get together you did in Tampa? So the first meetup for podcasting had 13 people. Okay. How many were, and, and just to put things in perspective, that was when? I'd like to say it was 2014, maybe 2013. 
Somewhere around there. 2013, I think. The last PodFest Global that just ended. How many people were in there? You want the virtual or the in-person? Because I give you both. No, no, no. The, the virtual. The last one that happened. Over 6,000. So that just proves the point, right? It's, it's about the mindset of inclusion, the mindset of making something for the long run that's bigger than you, that allows everybody to participate, just builds over time. And as long as you keep that mindset, and because that mindset, you keep attracting the right people, you will keep on growing. And the initial number is completely irrelevant. So if you're thinking like, oh my God, I would love to have 6,000 people of my optimal clients just want to connect with me every time I want to connect or connecting between themselves, which is what happens in many of these communities without me doing anything. And that's what I want to have five years from now. Well, guess what? The first time you're going to have one to 13 people because that's the way it works. But without having them, you will not have 6,000 down the road. It just doesn't work. The interesting thing is of those 12 or 13 people, three or four of them still show up like years later from a meetup. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. they're still loyal to the brand, which tells you the, the strength of that brand. You mentioned something that triggered something about uh, growth. W- one of the other things I would tell you is you, you talked about inclusion. You must treat everybody with respect. And one of our rules behind the scenes if we cannot help someone in some situation, we will figure out a way to help them. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like a brand rule. So someone says, hey, I'd like to speak. Okay, maybe I can't help you with that right now. But I, what I can help you is, what is it that you're trying to do? And I'll ask. And they'll say, hey, have you met Isar? You guys have a perfect niche within business with your podcast. And we'll send an introduction. So in other words, um, most brands are very quick to say, no, that doesn't fit what we're doing here. We're the opposite. We're like, okay, listen, we don't know if we could help you in this, but we'd like to learn more to see how we could help connect you. And people are always taken aback by that, but like the willingness to help means more than saying than saying no or yes, if that makes sense. It's the willingness to listen. So if you're a brand, the next step is you have one person show up. The next step is listening to all these other people that are willing to talk to you and truly listening, not, not and saying, okay, I'll try and figure out a way where we could work together or help one another or how we could help you. And that goes a long way with your brand ambassadors. I want to ask you about one more thing, which you do amazingly well. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking like both on the method as well as the mindset behind that. You make other people shine, right? We, we call our company, by the way, Be The Stage, because we don't want to be the stars of the stage. We want to be the stage where other people can shine. And you're a big believer in that. How do you do that? How do you attract the right people to allow them to shine, to allow the organization to grow? So in the early years, you have to curate very carefully. But then as the community would grow, we felt that our culture was solidified in some way, shape or form at at some time, that we felt that the ESRs of the world that are sitting there watching could then mimic and melt right into the culture. I don't know if that makes sense. So when we felt comfortable with that, we started loosening a lot of our restrictions so for instance, we deal with a lot of speakers. So we will give our speakers the benefit of the doubt. However, they must attend our town halls and we tell them what's expected of them. And then we'll tell them, hey, if you really don't feel strong or comfortable, you need help, please reach out to us. And then if you need to sit this out and watch, let us know. What almost always happens, and I, and I know you're part of this, but we bat like 900% when it comes to speakers, meaning nine out of 10 are out of the park. You're never going to bat a thousand. However, People always say, where'd you find all these people? We told them what was expected of them and we allowed them to rise to the occasion. And when they needed help, 
We did our best to give them the help that they needed. And that was really, we only executed and built that once we felt comfortable with the culture had solidified. So that would be a phase two process to make, to, to, if that helps. So what was phase one? Phase one is get the buy-in of your first group, the 13 people, so to speak, my 13 meetup people. Now we take them and we say, what's phase two? Okay, let's do a bigger event, see if we could draw more people. For us, it was 100 people showed up. Okay, well, that went really well. Let's see what happens next year, 181. So we built over time. In that time, we built models of what's expected, what the crowd wants. We kind of understood now the parameters. And then that's when phase two, once we understood the audience even better, then we unleashed phase two, which is, okay, let's trust the wisdom of the crowd, of our community, and allow them to succeed. And when they didn't, obviously, we would uh, communicate or help them in different ways and shape. But we never did thumbs down. That's a really interesting uh, value. We only do thumbs up or not just yet. We don't believe in thumbs down. The only time, by the way, Isar, a speaker is not allowed to speak is if they've tried to hard sell the audience, which is against what people sign up for, yep. or they harass knowingly, if that makes sense. In other words, they, they said things really out of line without clear. If we have a topic that's controversial, we warn people, they know what they're in for. But if someone just goes off topic and we didn't book them, that's the only time. And that's against cultural values. They didn't tell us what was expected and we couldn't communicate that. So that's very, it's very rare for us. So most of the times everything's great. I want to say two things that are extremely powerful. And you, you know, you keep on saying these words again and again. And for some people, there's something they wrote on a piece of paper and, and put it on a, on a billboard somewhere, which is values and culture, right? A lot of companies have, oh, this is the company values. I'm like, okay, but how are they translated to the day-to-day? Well, you know, and then there, it doesn't. And I think that's a very, very big part of what makes a community a community, It's the fact that they share the same values and they don't have to be spoken because everybody understands them. I think when you're giving somebody the opportunity to speak on your stage and they've been to two, three events before, they understand the culture of the organization. So if you can build this, I would call it self-nurturing system where people can interact with you or not interact, but be a passive passive side to the communication happening within the community, absorb the community. And the only reason they would rise to the occasion, not the only, again, every now and then somebody will try to take advantage, but absolutely, most of the cases, it will be somebody, oh my God, this is amazing. I really want to contribute to this. And this aligns with everything I believe in. And then when they step up to the plate, like you're saying, I think one of the biggest problems, and it's a, it's a human psychology problem. People run away from fear more than they are attracted to pleasure. That's a known fact. So what you're saying, even if it's nine out of 10 are going to do great, a lot of people are like, oh my God, if somebody screws up and it's our name on it. And I think that's part of the problem why people are not doing it, not opening up and letting people be a part of the journey because they're afraid of the one out of 10 versus benefiting from the nine. So let me give you the converse of what I experienced because I go to a lot of events. Because most events are so scared of giving new speakers opportunities, they feature the same people over and over. And these are some of the greatest events. I know you probably go to some of them. I go to the, yeah. and the speakers, like they're great, but the challenge is now you're not giving new voices, new people to come up. And what happens is you have an echo chamber of the same voices every year at the same conference. And a lot of the best education then happens out in the hallways. So for me, it's a smack in the face if someone says, I love PodFest, but I only hang out in the hallways because that's where all the value is. Now, I believe there's tons of value in the hallways, but here's what I would want them to say. 
I don't know what to choose, the hallways or the breakouts, everything's so good, or the exhibit hall. And usually that's the feedback we get because they know Isar is in the breakout. Oh, my God, I need to see my friend Isar. He's going to talk about tools because Isar is like the top guy in what we do. Or do I go to exhibit hall and talk to, you know, Dave Jackson, who's sitting there? Or do I go to talk to, you know, Thembi, who's going to do VAs? You want your attendees to be conflicted of what they need to choose because that means you're executing on all levels. As far as how do you know your culture within your audience has taken a hold. And I'll give you one very key example. In the early years of Tampa, and by the way, I had practice with Tampa Bay business owners before I ever did PodFest. So that's what gives me a lot of confidence. And I think as many at-bats as you can get, that, that gives you really good confidence. But I remember once we had someone that came to our networking event and you start, we've all experienced this. The person that gives everybody a business card and shakes everybody's hand, but they don't spend any time to talk to you. So you almost feel like your hand got raped by their business card. You know? <laughs> so I remember Shelly Walk, who is our resident attorney member, and she was also a sponsor. She said to the person, she gave him back the business card. She goes, you're in the wrong place to do this. You need to understand the culture and you need to slow down because no one's going to call you from this group. To me, the fact that I'm up on stage getting ready for the, we're interviewing some CEO or whatever. The fact that she had the guts to say that on behalf of all of us yeah. <laughs> when no one's in the room. And I think Katie, my wife, someone heard her and we were so proud and we thanked her after. See, most people might've said, Hey, Shelly, you know, can you not do that? We don't want to offend that person for our culture. That's a home run because she is holding the line and protecting her fellow community members within that ecosystem. So when you know you're doing right, your members are the ones fighting your case in the public sphere, your, your customers. However, I call customers members, right? Community members. In this case, if they're fighting your culture for you, you have done something that takes some companies generations to build that kind of goodwill. And you're doing it by trusting your community. So I'm a big proponent on being okay with dropping the ball every now and then to achieve greatness rather than the converse, which is holding everything so tightly knit that you're you're really hurting your growth. And now you're actually hurting even future growth because no one's coming to an event that's featuring the same players over and over. And I, there is a, a conference in our space. That's their number one complaint when I talk to people. I don't want to go there. It's the same speakers. And when you ask the promoter, they're so proud to tell you they pick the same speakers because they control the environment. And I think for for anything nowadays, you want to really, everything's open. The The internet's an open loop system, whether you like it or not. It's, yeah. You can't control it. People are trying yeah, to, yeah. they just can't. So own that chaos in a good way and give it to your community. Yeah. And, and I think that becomes a huge part of the growth engine, right? Because if somebody is now a part of the community, not to mention if he becomes a speaker, whether formally or informally, like you said, he just took the title of speaker and he speaks on behalf his people are going to pay attention, like his community, his friends, his followers on LinkedIn, like, ooh, this is interesting. So one out of 10 of his people connected with him will come to check out what you're doing. And I can tell you from a learning side, you know, I sit on the PodFest lectures as many as I can, and every single person that shows up gives a few tips that are golden that you don't get from the big names because they figured something out that, that somebody else didn't. So you got that golden nugget or two from every one of the speakers, but now you have 20 of these that are new. So there's 40 golden nuggets that you would not get from the big speakers that again, if you've been there three times, like, okay, you got most of the golden nuggets. I mean, they do have some new tricks in their rags, but I love it. It's absolutely amazing. I you, have to be you, listening. you have to be listening, Isar. Always listening. That's, that's the key. 
always listening to your audience. So we had a young lady that submitted through the uh, website. I took the call. She didn't know who I was. She goes, oh, you know, I just had a good feeling about this community from the internet, like straight. I said, why didn't you apply at these other groups? You know, which groups I probably mentioned. She goes, I didn't feel akin to it. And I would like to speak. And I said, you know what? You had the guts to cold call us. But she's not rep by PR. Just so I go, what, what can you talk to? She goes, I love using Reddit. Well, a lot of the older folks in our crowd know Reddit's important, but don't know how to use it. And I said, why don't you put something custom for the community? And it was amazing. And she was happy. I was happy. And But if I didn't listen and I didn't take that call, that opportunity would have never been birthed for her and the community. So that's the key. I know people think listening is like this thing. Listening is taking the call and spending the time and not saying you're, I'm too busy for listening to my customers and putting your ego aside. That's a big key. Chris, this was incredible. You know, two things before I let you go, because we, we can keep on doing this for three hours now. And <laughs> like, I'm enjoying this so much, but I, I want to touch on two things. One is tools and tricks and tips on the day-to-day. What tools you use, apps, books, gizmos, software, that if I take them away from you, you're like, oh my God, I don't know how I could have done my job if you take it away. So for the events right now, we use Eventbrite. It's a very key tool. Everybody knows it. It's got name recognition. The app that we use for our events is Whova, W-H-O-V-A. We're looking at other apps. That's our go-to app right now. Our audience knows it. We know it. On my phone, probably YouTube is, I love researching things on YouTube. I love, you know, as a, as a research tool. And then I do a lot of notes from time to time. If I do notes either on the phone or a yellow pad, actually my right now my yellow legal pad is my note taking. So I, I put two, three bullet points for the day. And then I, I have to cross them out before the day is up besides my normal meetings. That's fantastic. Last thing, how do people find you? If people want to connect with you, if people want to connect with PodFest, where can they connect with you? Chris, so that's spelled with the C, C H R I S, at podfastexpo.com. Send me a direct email. If you look up Podfest Expo, you can find our websites, get on our list. But if you ever want to interact directly, Chris at podfastexpo.com. I pretty, I mean, I take all meetings at this point. I, I, now, we are having trouble keeping up with the submissions that come in through the internet on our website, but we're, we'll work on systems. But a long time ago, I had a, a good friend of mine, a mentor. And I was learning internet marketing and I put up an autoresponder that I was busy. I think I was following Tim Ferriss. I was like, I'll get back to you on Tuesday at this time. And I remember him saying, do you think you're too busy for all of us? <laughs> so I understand efficiency, but what I understood, what I understood from that is you must always be listening. Don't get me wrong. I used to do hour long conversations. Now my meetings are down to 15 minutes because of the, the time allocation. But I, I do believe even if you are busy, set one day a month to listen to your customers, to listen to people that want to give you feedback. You'd be amazed what you learn when people literally reach out to you to tell you what's going on with them. And it'll help you uh, be a better brand builder for your company, for your company culture internally and externally. And I'm a, a big believer of taking all the calls that people, now forget about people want to sell you stuff. That's a different conversation. But if someone wants to reach out to you and see how they can interact with your brand, I'm a big proponent of taking those uh, meetings. Amazing. Chris, Really, really thank you so much. There was so much wisdom and so many points to take from, from everything, from the entire conversation, and definitely from that last tip that is true for any organization out there. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, sir. Wasn't Chris absolutely incredible? If you don't get it yet, the future of business development is relationship-based and not transactional-based. 
and it is around building communities of thriving fans around your business. If you're looking for additional content that talks about relationship building, networking, and relationship-based businesses, I highly suggest that you check out episode 27 with Pablo Gonzalez. The episode is called How New Business Growth Strategies Are Leveraging Networking-Generated Content. And you can find it on your podcast player just by scrolling back all the way to 27 or by going to theetribe.com forward slash 27. And until next time, have an incredible week. Hey, Tribers, I hope you enjoy this great interview. If you have, please share this with your friends and your colleagues. If you'd like access to similar content or you would like to get the notes and the resources mentioned in this interview, please visit us at theetribe.com where you can find other great interviews like this one, as well as many resources and tools which can help you grow or start your business. We would love it if you would join the eTribe, either as a member or as a contributor. You can do that on the website as well. I hope you would listen to us next time, and until then, have a great day.